invite you to open your Bible with me this evening to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. This psalm really ought to be read with, um, well, if you've ever stood on the beach of Lake Michigan when a huge thunderstorm is coming in. Uh, you see the, the dark clouds, you see the flashes of lightning, the wind begins to pick up, the sand begins to uh, blister your face, the lightning is cracking and then the, the heavens open and the rain pours down. Uh, it's a very uh, sensory experience. Uh, many believe that David wrote this psalm after having had just that kind of experience on the shores of the Mediterranean. And so uh, we should read it, uh, just imagine yourself standing there on the beach and, and, and sensing all of that power coming directly at you. Uh, it's intended to have that effect. Let's give our attention to God's word, Psalm 29. <clears throat> ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild, young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, or another reading is uh, makes the oaks to shake. It's just how you put the vowels there. And strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's bow our head in a moment of prayer. Oh God in heaven, we need to hear your voice tonight. We've heard a thousand different voices in this past week. And now, Lord, we desperately need to hear a word from God. For if you do not speak into our lives and give us ears to hear, we will die. We will be lost. And so, Lord, speak your word of life and truth and grace and power into our souls and bodies. And, Lord, hearing may we receive it and, and live. And so I pray that you'd bless this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> brothers, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, uh, we have a problem. Uh, you have a problem, and I have a problem, and it's a, it is far more critical than we imagine. Uh, our problem is that we are terrible worshipers. Um, we, by sinful nature, worship all the wrong things. We seek our identity and security and significance and things that will destroy us. So God says, uh, my, my people have committed two sins. They've hewn out for themselves gods that are not gods. 
They worship them. They, 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 they drink from cisterns that cannot hold water. Uh, and, and so we worship things that, that will actually destroy us. We worship the wrong things by nature. And we give our whole self to our idols. But even when we come, become aware of the one true God, we can worship the one true God uh, falsely in a, in a wrong way. We can, we can worship the one true God, at least go through the motions of it, and yet our hearts be far from him. And so if you read in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, God says, these people, your, your hearts are far from me. You, you, you got things going on with your lips, but your heart is nowhere to be found. So just stop it. Who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? You're like a herd of sheep. You just come swamping through the the, the courts and and leaving your mess and thinking that you've done me a favor. Just stop. I loathe your assemblies. That's our problem. We have a worship problem. And all the sin of our life really flows out of that fundamental problem. And there's only one cure for this deadly disease, and the cure isn't church. There are thousands and thousands who attend churches regularly, good churches, and yet who never get the worship problem resolved. One of the, one of the uh, common mistakes people make is, is to identify worship with the liturgy in such a way that they think that if they do the liturgy, if they sing the songs and, and listen to the prayers or say the prayers and, and, and endure a sermon, uh, then they've done worship. <clears throat> but of course, it's not true at all. Uh, you, can, you can worship all your idols uh, sitting in a pew of a church, and you can worship the true God falsely sitting in the midst of true worship. Uh, you see, the, the true worship certainly in, involves the elements that I've mentioned, the prayers and songs and sermons, and, but, but the critical element of worship actually is communing with God, communing with God in, in faith, in confession, in praise. And that's true whether you're worshiping by yourself in, uh, during your devotions or, or whether you're worshiping with your family or whether you're worshiping with the body of Christ. Worship at its very core has to be an actual engagement with God. Where we, where we hear the Lord speak, and we, we taste his goodness in his promises, and, and we see his goodness in, in his acts of salvation, and, and we confess our sin to him because we grieve our sin. And we, we ask him for his grace because we want to grow and we want to be useful to his cause and, and for his purposes. And we find that as God is, is ex- explained to us, revealed to us, manifested in the pages of scripture, that our hearts are drawn to him. And if none of that happens, you see, then, then no, no matter how many songs you sing or prayers you, you, you pray or hear, or how long the sermon might be, you, you haven't worshiped. If there's, no, if there's no love for God, no longing for God, no, no trembling before his majesty or comfort from his love or, or zeal for his glory, then, then you're missing the, the heart, the most essential element of worship. So what does that have to do with Psalm 29? <clears throat> well, Psalm 29 is it's a worship poem, uh, and, and it, it's, it's written to help us experience the reality of God. 
It is saturated with God. I don't know if you notice as we read through it, David speaks of the Lord 17 times in 11 verses. It's just shot through with God, the glory of God, the strength of God, the majesty of God, and specifically the voice of the Lord seven times in the course of just a few verses. The voice of the Lord. Psalm 29, you see, is a worship poem. It's not historical narrative. David isn't telling a story. It is a poetic expression of worship. We get to see David experience the the reality of God in the things that God has made, but David does not just see a storm. He sees the God who is Lord over the storm, and he delights, and he worships. And so David uses repeated words and vivid images to draw us, the reader, into his experience of worship, to experience the greatness of God. This, This is meant to be a window for us to see the truth about the Lord. God in his glory, in his power, in his majesty, in his sovereignty, in his goodness. So that we respond in worship. So that we praise and glorify and delight in this God. The psalm, uh, as we move to look at the psalm itself, it is a dramatic psalm. There's lots of movement. There's uh, forests are skipping like calves and thrashing like young wild oxen. The earth is trembling and shaking. Lightning is exploding. Cedars are breaking. There is drama in Psalm 29. You, you got to keep your eyes open. You got you to stay awake. Things are happening, exploding all around you. But there's movement in the psalm itself. It begins as David calls on the, the choirs of heaven, the, the, worship, the thronging worshipers in heaven to, to ascribe glory to God. That's where it begins. And then it moves to a display of God's magnificence and power on the earth. And then the scene moves again to the throne of God, the, the throne room where God sits enthroned. And from that throne, God blesses his people with peace. And so we'll look at the psalm then in those three scenes. First, scene one, the the worship that takes place in heaven, verses one and two, where David calls all the hosts of heaven, the angels, the the, the seraphim, the cherubim, to, to lift their voices and sing. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Now, what is David doing here? He, well, he, he's, he's saying, in a sense, to all those who dwell in God's presence, who, who see the glory of God, he's saying, shout it out, sing, sing. And, he, and he's not doing that because he thinks they're failing. He doesn't think there's, something's happened in the, the worship services of heaven. But you see, David is delighting in the fact that God is worshipped by his heavenly creatures, and, and he's urging them on. One of, the, one of the fundamental impulses of a person who has, a, has been given a new heart, if you have a new heart by the Holy Spirit, you begin to, to want new things. Our desires come from out of our heart. If, if you have a new heart, you're still going to fight some old desires, but there's going to be a new desire there. And, and one of the most fundamental new desires of a regenerate heart is you want to see God glorified. 
You want God to be magnified. You want the greatness of God to be manifested and known. You want God to be loved. You want him to be worshipped. So, so the first petition, you see, of the Lord's Prayer is the first impulse of a regenerate heart. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you have a regenerate heart, somewhere deep inside you, that, that hunger exists. So that, and as you grow as a Christian, that, that hunger will in, continue to increase. And so you'll, you'll be able to sense that even if God brings hard things into your life, if God is magnifying his name in that, then, then so be it, Lord. Just, just glorify your name. God, reveal your greatness. Reveal your glory. That's David's hunger. He, he wants God to be glorified. He wants the angels of heaven to sing, to reflect back to God the, the, the radiance of his worth. That's what it means to ascribe. He's, not, he, he's just saying, just tell us what you see. The God of glory, the God of strength, the God of majesty, ascribe it to him, say it to him. You see, if... It's a natural instinct to publicly praise what you profoundly admire. Uh, this is true of all of us to one degree or another, but uh, you, you do this all the time. If you see a, a guys, if you see a, 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 a new car that, or, or truck that just catches your attention, what do you, you say, look at that. Who makes that? Where, what is, oh, I've heard about that. Every time I see a Tesla, I think I was made for that thing. <laughs> Beautiful cars. You can't help it. This is what happens when, when people fall in love. Young men suddenly become poetic. And they start talking about this girl and, and her, her, her eyes, her face, her smile, her, her demeanor, her hair. And, he, and, and if he's wise, he'll, he'll talk to her about those things. Why does he do that? Because he can't help it in a sense. This is a song of Solomon where you just hear this conversation where lovers are, are, are praising. They're, they become enchanted, enraptured. And so they're moved to publicly praise the, the object of their delight. That's, that's the dynamic of worship. And it, and it should not have to be wrung out of you. The, the wife who has to say, tell me, tell me what you think. Tell me, tell me why you love me. And wring it out of you. And you've got to scratch your head like, well, <clears throat> uh, let me think. That is not a good conversation. And no matter what you say after let me think is going to matter. It's the same in worship. You shouldn't have to be wrung out of us. God shouldn't say, have to say, come and tell me again why you're here. If we were alive to him, awake to him, it would just pour out of you. God, I'm here because you're so good. You're so great. You're so kind. You've been so patient with me. You're so generous. Who am I that you should, that you should pour out your kindness like you do? See, Psalm 29 wants to wake us up, snap us out of our spiritual slumber, wake up to the reality of God. And so David begins by <clears throat> calling the angels of heaven to praise and, and admire and adore and worship and ascribe to God the glory that is due to his name. 
It's due him. It's, it's rightfully his because he is all these things a thousand, thousand times. And then, and then we come to scene two, where the power of God's on display. David, I believe, is watching a storm coming in. It's coming in from the northwest, moving off the Mediterranean, hitting Lebanon first, moving down through the land of Canaan. If you notice, ends up in the wilderness of Kadesh. If you know your Israelite geography, that's down in the south. And so it's just sweeping over the whole land, coming off the Mediterranean and through the land of Israel. And as, as David watches this cloud and he hears this, uh, this thunder shaking the earth, he hears the voice of God. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. If you've heard a great thunderstorm, you know, you, you know what that sounds like. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 19 when God appears to Israel there at Mount Sinai, God shows up on the top of the mountain and what do you find there? You find thunder and lightning so that the whole mountain was shaking and the people were terrified because God is overwhelming. He's absolutely overwhelming. The waters in Scripture uh, often stand for uh, uh, the chaos of evil. Uh, the water is, is, waters is where chaos reigns, or there's darkness, there's death. Hades is down in the depths of the waters. And, and we experience those things. Psalm 46 talks about, though the, though the mountains tremble and shake because the waters are, are roaring and foaming. <clears throat> but David's God is over this all. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The Lord, verse 10, sits enthroned over the flood. God, David's God reigns. But this storm now, it doesn't mean he's safe. The storm moves in, accompanied by tornado-like winds. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. If, you, if you've ever seen, maybe this, this past uh, summer when we had the tornado come through, maybe you saw trees dancing. And they will, when the wind is really whipping them up, they'll just thrashing. That's what David's talking about. The forests of Lebanon are, are thrashing, writhing in this storm. And, and the voice of the Lord is, the thunder is matched by sizzling white hot lightning ripping the air. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. Verse 7. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of, of Kadesh. It makes the oaks shake. It strips the forest bare. In his temple all cry, glory. You see, you cannot stand before the voice of God and hear what it is and see who it is and not respond with, with praise. If you can... You're just deaf and dumb, right? So the person who can stand in the, before a tornado and, and um, think nothing of it is a person who is not aware of what a tornado is. Just dumb to it, senseless. Maybe has no feeling in his body. But, but you see, when you're awake to it, and that's what David's speaking of. All in his, in his temple all cry glory. Those who, those who worship the Lord see the glory of God. And they see the acts of God. They see the power of the Lord 
and they worship. All in his temple cry, glory. See, they ascribe glory to God. And then, scene three, it's sort of verses uh, 10 and following. It's sort of like the calm after the storm. Things have quieted down. The storm has passed. Maybe there's the sun breaking through. Maybe some rumbles of, of thunder in the distance as the storm moves past. And now David just senses the beauty of God's sovereign reign. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The word here in verse 10, uh, the flood, it's the only place in the Old Testament that that specific word for flood shows up outside of Genesis 6 uh, through 11. So this is a reference not just to flooding waters. This is reference to Noah's flood. As, as David has seen another example of God's mighty power displayed in, the, in, in creation, David thinks to the judgment of God in Genesis, where God responded to the wickedness of this world with judgment. And yet the, the, the very storm that came and, and destroyed the world that then was, was the same storm that lifted Noah and his family to salvation and introduced a whole new world. It is, a, it is a picture of the redemption of God. And David says, God is Lord sovereign over the flood, over his redemptive acts. And so the flood now is followed by the rainbow of benediction. May the Lord give strength to his people and bless his people with peace. Dalich writes this, he says, this closing word, uh, with peace... It's like a rainbow arc over the psalm. The beginning of the psalm shows us heavens opened, while its close shows us his victorious people on the earth, blessed with his peace. Gloria in excelsis is the beginning, and in terra pax its close. Glory to God in the highest is how it starts. Peace on earth is how it ends. And that's the psalm. This beautiful, dramatic, powerful revelation of God, the glory of God. So what does it mean? What's it supposed to do? How does it help? Well, in order to understand how this psalm applies today, we've got to realize it's not, first of all, about a storm. It's specifically about the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. David repeats that seven times in verses 3 through 9. Uh, one of the great lessons of Psalm 29 is that the voice of the Lord is the Lord in action. If you look at verse 5 specifically, notice the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord and the Lord of the, are, are one and the same thing. It is God in action. This past December when I was on study break, I read Tim Keller's book on prayer, a very good book. One of the things that I enjoyed is he points out that God's words are identical with God's actions. There's a, there's a, a, a theory of language called speech-action theory, speech-act theory. And, and the idea is that words um, is, are, are not simply communication. Words are actions. So, so if I go get a glass of water, or I'm taking an action. If I say... Um, would you please get me a glass of water? I'm taking an action as well. Words are meant to do things. Maybe to comfort somebody, maybe to instruct somebody, maybe admonish someone. But words are, words are acts. Well, 
in, in, a, in a much grander scale, God's words are God's acts. So when God says, let there be light, he doesn't look around to see if someone's going to uh, make something happen. Let there be light. There's light. The word's the act. The power, the creative power, is in the divinely spoken word. And so Psalm 29, you see, is this hymn of praise to the present power of the voice of God. What God's voice does, God does. Breaking the cedar, shaking the earth. Which is why, you see, God's words, his word, can never fail. For God's word to fail is for God himself to fail. Which is why in Isaiah chapter 55, God says that cannot happen. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There is not a single other being in creation or in all the universe, created and uncreated, that could say this. I uh, was listening, um, watching some television, the news of the inauguration, and there was a clip where our new president said very confidently, I will never let you down. <laughs> I just said, man, you will certainly let me down. <clears throat> If I put my trust in you, like any other person in the world, right? If you're honest and you get married, right? Don't say to your spouse, I will never let you down because she's going to be shocked next day <laughs> when you let her down. God says, I will never let you down, ever. Because God's words and God's action are the same thing. Keller says when the Bible uh, talks of God's word, it's talking of God's active presence in the world. God's verbal actions are an extension of himself. So when you meet the word of God, you are in the presence of God himself. Which is why, friends, when we gather together in worship and God is speaking by his spirit and through his word, there should be evidence. Something should be moving. Hearts should be trembling. This is the one in whom I delight, God says. He who is humble and contrite in heart and does what? Who trembles at my word. There should be something taking place when we are in the presence of God's word, when, when we're in the presence of God himself. Your, your heart should be moved. Your soul should be stirred. Your mind should be engaged. The gift of conviction should fall. The gift of faith should, should bear fruits, come to life. There's a great example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is talking to the church there, and they're having this issue with tongues and um, and it's not edifying the body. Because someone will speak in tongues and, and, and others won't understand what he's saying. So, so Paul says this in, in chapter 14. Desire the gift of prophecy. 
Because he says, if, if all prophesy, if everybody's talking in tongues, it's gibberish and nobody knows what's going on. But if all prophesy, if all speak the word of God, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What happened? The word of God was let loose and spoken, and that word, as we read in Hebrews chapter 4, is uniquely designed. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that when you, when you meet the word of God, when, when the word is, is let loose on you, God is speaking. And you get exposed. And God is revealed and magnified. And you sense that you're actually in the presence of God. That's the voice of the Lord <coughs> that David's talking about. Here in Psalm 29, hang on just a second. Well, where do we meet that active, mighty, discerning, dividing voice today? We meet it in the, in the Scripture. It means that when the Bible is read, and when, it, when, it's, when it's preached, we're not simply hearing about God, religious lessons uh, uh, that apply vaguely to God. We're hearing the voice of the Lord, which powerfully accomplishes the, per the purpose for which it was sent. Keller says God acts through his words, and therefore the way to have God dynamically, dynamically active in your life is through the Bible. To understand the scripture is not simply to get information about God. If read with trust and faith, the Bible is the way to actually hear God speaking and meet God himself. Isn't that amazing? You open this book, and you meet God. You meet God speaking, God telling you who he is and what he's like and, and about his, his glory and his holiness, his sovereignty, his salvation, his purposes for you. You meet God. Think of how that would change your devotional life if we, if we really believed that and change the way we, we, we read the scripture and, and listen to, to a sermon. If we're meeting God there, well, then let's, let's let the other stuff go. Let's shut the TV off for a while. Let's, let's put aside this hobby over here, and let's, let's sit down and, and open, and, and, and then, then, then say, speak, O Lord, you see? As I come to you to receive the, the, the truth of your holy word, and, and take this truth and plant it deep in me. Lord, let the... Let the, the, the the thunderstorm of your voice break over my life. I need the holy wind of Scripture to drive out the impurity of my heart. I need the rain of heaven to come and water this dead, dying spirit. I need the Word. i got to have the Word. I can't live, you see, without the Word. If you don't speak, God, I will die. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And the beauty of Scripture... This is, I, I tell you, Isaiah 55 is such a great verse. Because God says, 
as, as the rain, the snow comes down, and it does not return to heaven without accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. What was the purpose? Well, the purpose was to make things grow. And it makes things grow. And, and, that, and that promise that, it was, that God says, I will accomplish that for which I have purposed it, that, the, the context of that is the gospel. Come to me. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Turn to the Lord. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to our God for he will abundantly pardon. See, the, the purpose of the word of God is, is salvation. It's his great desire. It's his great aim. It's, it's, his, it's why we have the scriptures. So that we might have life. Because these scriptures point us to our Savior. Jesus, of course, is the final beautiful word of God, the voice of the Lord. You have to know Jesus if you're going to know this God and understand Psalm 29. If you're, to if you're ever going to be fed and watered by the word of God, if you're going to hear the voice of the Lord, you have to know Jesus. Long ago, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. And that son then came, and there's a beautiful scene in, in John's gospel where Jesus goes and is baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus enters into the water, symbolic of the flood waters, the waters that, that, that are judgment waters. Jesus, in his baptism, takes on the, the judgment of God for sinners, taking our sin upon himself. Jesus goes into the water, and, and the... Uh, the heavens open and the Father speaks. Do you remember what he says? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And friends, that's ultimately what we need to do with Psalm 29. We need, we need to listen to Jesus. The voice of the Lord has thundered. The grace of God has rained down on this world. This Jesus has been given not just to, to save us out from hell. This Jesus has been given to be our life. To be the reason we get out of bed in the morning. To be, to be the, 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 the thing that we're pursuing all day long is the, is the glory of Jesus Christ in the world. This Jesus is our righteousness. He is our redemption. He is our peace. The peace that God promises. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. Not as the world gives, but as I give. My question to you tonight, friend, is, is do you know that Jesus? Do you, do you hear the voice of God? Do you remember in the Old Testament how many times God will send his prophets and they'll say, thus saith the Lord, and, and the people won't hear it? They're too busy. They're, they're, they're just not interested in the things that the prophets have to say. They don't really believe what the prophets are saying, that, that, that God is, is going to judge them if, if they break covenant with them, that, that, that there are consequences for their unbelief and for their mingling with the, with the pagan gods and marrying with, with pagan women. It's just hard for them. They're, they're good people. It's hard for them to imagine that the prophets, what the prophet can be saying is actually true. And so God will say, hear me, hear ye. Why will you die, O house of Israel? You realize that there will be many people who go to hell from, from the pews of the church because they just didn't hear. And so my, my question to you, 
is do you hear? Do you hear God in his word? Do you hear God in his son? Does the Holy Spirit minister that word to you? Are you trying to pay attention to that word through your week? Are you saying, Lord, speak to me? I want to hear. I want that, root to ta- that word to take root in my life. I want it to, to grow up. I want it to bear fruit. Remember the seed that was cast? Jesus talks about the sower, and some gets picked up by the birds. And some grows up for a little while, and then it just wilts away because the, the cares of this world choke out the life. But some of it, some of it, you see, takes root. And Jesus says, the one, that's the one who hears. And it bears fruit to the glory of God. Friend, this God has spoken. And you've been made in his image. You've been made for his glory. And God has given you everything you need in his word, in his son, to that end. Let's listen. Let's hear. Let's live. Let's pray. Father, we need to confess before you how apathetic we are about your voice, about your word, about your salvation, about your son. I thank you, Lord God, that you have spoken. I thank you that you speak still today. Oh God, I pray that we would experience the word of God to be this mighty thunderstorm that shakes up the lethargy and sleepiness of our lives. That, Lord God, you would accomplish your saving purposes in our lives. As your word exposes us, convicts us, and then brings us to Jesus day after day after day. And there in Jesus, we find that we are loved and forgiven, that we are healed, that we are destined for eternity with God, so that we need fear nothing. Father, I I pray, you know our hearts, please, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us, give us ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.